invite you all to turn with me in God's Word to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll continue to draw encouragement and direction from God's Word this week as we have been doing in 1 Peter, uh, looking at this first chapter, verses 13 through 16. And we want to continue meditating upon this overriding uh, theme that's so uh, beautiful for us, even as we are uh, in this place as a church this week and, and during dealing with loss as a church family, that we live in this in-between time. In between when Christ has come and He has brought salvation that we can experience and begin to know joy and life and all that comes through that. And yet we remain waiting. We remain in a place of laying hold of a living hope. Something that comes in the future. The fullness, the fulfillment of His kingdom. That's where we are. And we've seen in the weeks that we've looked at so far, this passage, that uh, it tells us in verse 3, we, we're not looking at this to, today, but we've looked in the past weeks, verse 3 tells us that we have this living hope. Uh, verse 5 mentions the fact that we wait for this salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And in our verses today that I'll read in a minute, verse 13, that we hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're in this in-between time. The already, but the not yet. And we saw in the recent weeks, uh, in verse 3, we saw words that echo the song that our praise team just sang, that we're to bless the Lord. Praise Him. Walk in worship to Him in this in-between time. That's part of what He's calling us to. And we can can do that because we've got an imperishable hope. That hope is imperishable if our trust is in Christ. We saw last week that uh, we're able, right in the midst of suffering and difficulty, to see the glory of God's salvation. Even in this in-between time, we're able to see that. And in this week, we'll see that we're called to be certain people, to reflect God, to reflect Him in holiness. We're supposed to live a certain way during this time. Walk in praise, see glory and salvation even in the midst of suffering, and live, walk in a pathway of holiness. So I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud and you read along silently. 1 Peter Chapter 1, 1 Peter's all the way at the uh, back part of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. And I'll read these verses to us, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You may be seated as you do. Let me pray again. O Father, we ask that you would come 
and minister to us during this time. O Lord, uh, all that we are, all the glory that we might have, you tell us is like grass. The grass and the flowers fade, but Lord, we praise you that your word does not. Minister to us through it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought it might help us as we begin today to think about this theme of holiness, just to take a perusal across the scope of the Scriptures and hit some, some, some highlights, if you will. There's lots of others that I'm sure we could fill in the blanks here, but that demonstrate and display God's holiness. We're called in this passage to live in this in-between time as those who reflect God's holiness. It would fit us to take a look first and just see some of what the Scriptures say about His holy character. His nature is one who's set apart and above and beyond all things. We see God's holy power right at the beginning of the Bible in creation when He's able to speak into existence all that we see. Most of us, uh, even if we're in charge of some folks at our office, can't get them to, to maybe do always exactly what we want to do. We're in charge, some of us at home as parents, and we know we can't get those kiddos to do what we want to do just because we speak it. What a holy power that God has, that He speaks all that we see into existence. We also see right at the beginning of the Bible, we're crafted and made, it says, in the image of God. We see right there at the beginning we're called to reflect something about Him. We look as we travel on through the Old Testament at the story of Noah, which is far more than just an entertaining uh, little little uh, story about a boat and some animals. The point of the message is twofold. One, that God's holy in His judgment, that He judges the world that's turned away from Him with a, a flood. And yet in the midst of it, he's holy as well in his grace to choose to redeem, to save Noah and his family, and even to save the animal. Folks, we see it as well in Leviticus. That old, those Old Testament passages, if you're doing your read through the Bible thing, you get bogged down there. All the sacrifices, the picture of the tabernacle and the temple, what do they tell us? They tell us God is a holy God in our worship. In the way we worship Him, He calls us to holiness and worship. Isaiah 6, uh, getting to the latter part of the Old Testament, Isaiah, perhaps you remember that passage in, in Isaiah 6, and he comes and he sees God's kingly holiness, that God's high and exalted on a throne. And what's Isaiah's response? First, he, he declares what we've sang in a couple of songs this morning. He declares God's holiness, holy, holy, holy. And then his response is to look at himself and realize he needs an atonement. He needs one to atone for him. Which, of course, brings us to the New Testament where we see the disciples amazed at points with Jesus' holiness. They kind of walk away from him. They want him to get away from them at points because he is so otherworldly in who he is. And, of course, we see the magnitude of His holy grace and justice coming together in the cross as He's the sacrificial Lamb, as He lives perfectly holy on our behalf, what Laura was just sharing with the kids earlier. We see God's holiness in the nature of His people in the book of Acts. 
the early church. What is the church? It's not a perfect people. We know that today as we sit here, but the church is God's people called out to Him. Saints in that sense. And then we see finally in Revelation, and I'll read this to you. If you want to turn there, you can since it's just a few pages away from 1 Peter, but it says in Revelation 4 these beautiful words. Revelation 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door. This is God's heavenly holiness, the heavenly, the kingdom of His holiness to come. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and Around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Round the throne on each side were four creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and around and within. And the day and night they never cease to say, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Almighty, who was and is to come. This is the Lord we know and profess to worship if our hope is in Christ today. The Lord God in His holiness. And so we want to look at today. What does that mean for us? What is Peter telling us when he calls us to walk in holiness as the Holy One? If you want to turn in your worship guide to the notes section, you can. You'll find this main idea. It's all the way at the back of your worship guide. And you, you might want to turn there today because there's several uh, quotes that I'm going to share and it might help you to follow along even if that's not your normal program. I invite you to do that today. Uh, this main idea we see in our passage today. That as we set our hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ, we should walk in holiness... And then there's a little part left off, I think, in your worship guide, and it was my fault that it was left off, that we should walk in holiness because God is holy. Because God is holy. I want to commend to you as well, before we dive in even further, uh, a book that uh, I would say was one of the most uh, powerful and influential books in my life. I know it's probably the second or third book that I read after becoming a Christian in high school and uh, I guess I'd, I'd read some of the Bible, but this was something that a person gave to me early on by R.C. Sproul. I know I referenced a book uh, of his a few weeks ago, uh, The Holiness of God is the title of this book, The Holiness of God. And I would just commend to you, if you as, as you hear what I'm sharing today and want to think and meditate on it further, this is a wonderful book to read, Consider the Holiness of God. Well, what does it mean, uh, holiness? In the Scriptures, it really means two things. One is to be set apart set aside for a certain purpose, and the other is to be pure, to have a certain purity about us. Now, 
we need to realize, though, that it's not just about having a set of uh, rules and regulations. It's not the, the, the fabled, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. Right? It's well beyond that. It's deep. It's a heart issue that we're talking about here. It's interesting in uh, Matthew, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is giving this series of woe statements. You know, calling out to the folks to, to, to wake up and pay attention. And you know who he's firing away, blasting away with these woe statements? It's not the pagan folks walking around. It's not the people who have no interest in the things of God. It's actually the church leaders, the Pharisees, the lay leaders, the pastors, the teachers, the church folk. And listen to what he says to them that I think relates to this idea of holiness in verse 23 of Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without the ne neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat to swallow a camel. What's Jesus saying there? Fascinating if you think about it. Okay, these, these folks were meticulous enough. We may think we're trying to be meticulous in our walk with the Lord. These folks were meticulous enough that they would give a tenth, 10%, a tithe of their spice cabinet, of the items out of their spice cabinet, and make sure they were being faithful to the Lord. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus doesn't tell them not to do that, but he says you're missing the big point. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things of holiness, of walking with the Lord. These are matters of the heart deep inside. We can manage outward behavior if we need to for a time, but changing the heart requires a work of grace, requires dependence upon the Lord, and he's calling them to that kind of holiness. He calls us to that kind of holiness as well. I like what Tozer says, A.W. Tozer. It's on your uh, worship guide again. He says, God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees. And this he cannot impart to his creatures. He can't pass it along. That's what he's saying. But there's a relative, a contingent holiness that he shares, that he gives out with the angels, the seraphim in heaven, with redeemed men on earth as their preparation for heaven. Part of what God wants to do with us in our lives is to bring us to Himself, not only that we can enjoy a privilege, a relationship with Him in eternity, but He wants to change us. We titled the sermon, Transformation. He wants to transform our lives, allow us to walk more deeply with Him for our good. He's not trying to harm us. He's trying to help us. I like what... Uh, Mortar says as well, a common uh, commentator, he says, it amuses us to poke fun at the well-intentioned efforts of older Christians then and now to keep our feet out of life's pitfalls and to live set apart for the Lord. So he's saying it's something we like to go back and say, I can't believe people back then thought, you know, this or that thing was wrong to do or, or, or didn't do these behaviors or whatever because of their Christian walk. He says at the same time, we should think twice before doing so for in our generation, we've made the potentially far more serious error of forgetting that there even is such a thing as separation. 
Well, that gives us the what of holiness. What about the why of it? Why should we do it? It doesn't sound very entertaining. It's sort of a, a, a holiness, sort of holy, sort of a four-letter word of the Christian uh, community. It doesn't sound like something I really want to get excited about. The scriptures say this simply, and we see it in First Peter in our passage this week, that we are to set our hope fully on the grace that's been brought to us. Why should we walk in holiness? Because we've been given such grace and such mercy that we don't deserve. The passage for today that we're looking at, verse 13, begins with that word that's so helpful. It's a real simple, you know, biblical interpretation that anyone can pick up on. It says, therefore, therefore, whenever that scripture says, therefore, you want to look back and see what, what's driving, what is this based upon? All the things that we've been looking the past week, that we have an imperishable inheritance that God's with us even in times of testing and difficulty. That we have right now, we live in this time, that we have before us His words that even the angels long to look into. All of these gracious kindnesses, that's what's meant to propel us to holiness. We can't earn our status with God. We have the gift of God's of Jesus' holiness given to us, and then we are called to begin to live out that holiness in response to God's grace. So we need to hear this message. We need to hear this message today if perhaps we're here and this is the first time you've ever really thought about the fact that God is holy. Never really been aware of that or meditated on what that means. We need to hear this message because we need to know God's saving grace and that His grace is what propels us to His Holiness. We need to hear this message so that we can grasp the heart of the issue, as I said a minute ago, that we wouldn't be like those scribes and Pharisees straining out a gnat while we're swallowing a camel. Well, First Peter gives us some, some uh, marching orders as to how to move forward with this if we do begin to see what holiness is, and because of God's grace we say, okay, I would like to respond. I would like to know what it is to live in holiness. It gives us, first of all, a warning. Look with me at verse 13 again in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Harrison and I were gathering our little early morning prayer time, praying for the worship service this morning, and, and he, he was looking at the passage and he said, are you going to go there? Are you going to go there with that part of the passage? I said, yeah, I'm going to go there. The phrase in the original Greek language for this is to Gird up the loins of your mind. That's the phrase here. Gird up the loins of your mind. And what they meant by that, which comes through in English kind of in a strange way, was that people back in that day would wear a robe around. That was their garment. And what they would do is, you know, if you were trying to move around quickly, having a robe on is pretty uh, prohibitive to move. And so they would take part of that robe and just loop it up and tuck it into their belt. That's what they were talking about, girding up. Gather up all these garments and tuck them into your belt. Get ready for action. And I think what we can take from that today is that uh, holiness, although it requires God's working, it's totally dependent upon God's working. It's not something we can sit there and just say, I hope someday I'll be holy. I hope I'll grow a little bit in holiness. I hope it'll happen to me that I might come to know holiness. No. Peter's saying, prepare, 
get ready. He goes further and says, prepare yourself, your minds for action. It's Christian life in the spectator sport. We believe in a sovereign God in our church, and it's the message of the Scriptures. But that sovereign God calls us to respond to His grace and to run towards holiness. It goes on in verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children. How does that relate to this holiness dynamic? Let me see if I can make some connections for us. Most of you all know I've got Yankee roots grew up up north. So the whole yes ma'am, no sir deal is a little foreign to me. But, you know, I've embraced it. Our family goes along with it. Patience and I work together with the boys. And, you know, I don't know, maybe four out of five times, three out of five times, we get the flat out no. And if you're parenting the little ones, you get in this habit of reminding them over and over again. So you hear no, you say, no, sir. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Start to do that reminder. And it gets to be very, uh, happens an awful lot of times, day in and day out. And then you have this interesting experience sometimes if you have another family from the neighborhood or from the church over, and you maybe don't know them all that well yet, but you're getting ready for mealtime, and all the kids are gathered around, and, and I'm standing there and asking whether the kids would like to have lemonade with dinner. And all of a sudden I hear a flat no. And without even realizing it coming out of my mouth, I say, no, sir, and realize that wasn't one of my kids that said, no, sir. And you know, if it's your good friends or something over, you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll let you take the lead on that there. You can parent my kids. But if it's, if it's not really people you know that well, it's a little awkward, a little uncomfortable. Why? Why is that uncomfortable? It's uncomfortable because I have full right and indeed responsibility to help train my kids in whatever, yes sirs or no sirs or whatever. I don't have right and responsibility to train and correct some other person's child. We're God's children. He's called us into our family. And we may not feel like He's got a right to speak into our life and to call us to this kind of obedience, to call us even to transformation. But He does because we're His children. He's got a right to speak to us and to call us to that. Last thing we see about this warning that's really, really interesting. We're not going to have a lot of time to focus on it for today. But is that it talks three different ways in just a couple of verses about holiness as it relates to our minds. Did you notice that? I think we usually think of holiness more about behaviors and what actions you take or don't take. It's interesting to me that it says prepare your minds, and then as if we kind of would miss the point in in just the same sentence, it says, and be sober-minded. Then it goes on, and in verse 14, right after it tells us to walk as obedient children, it says, don't be conformed to the passions, which sounds like emotions, but passions of our former ignorance. Ignorance is in the mind. And, and all I want us to see here and realize is that in our world, we think the mind is kind of okay. Rationalism 
reason your mind functions. And maybe your will is messed up a little bit or we do bad things, but we, we have a real hard time recognizing that something's actually wrong in here. That even people that are really smart and thinking in a really smart way, that if it's not directed in the right path, it's way off track. I think about it this way. A lot of us probably have these smart smartphones that I, I now have as well. And you've got somewhere in your little apps there, you've got your uh, direction and maps feature. Okay? And you have a highly powerful device. You know, NASA would have loved to have one of those in 1965 or something. You know, they could have run the whole program on this little thing we hold in our hands. It's incredibly powerful. Just like our minds are incredibly intricate and powerful. But, but guess what happens with that smartphone feature of the maps and directions if you're in a zone where you're not getting your coverage and you try to find directions from, you just want to go from here to wherever that restaurant you're trying to get to, guess what happens? It just drives you around in circles. It can't take you anywhere because it doesn't know where it is. Powerful little device. Likewise, our minds, what Peter's trying to tell us is, is if our minds, if we're not desiring to have our minds set apart to God, even the way we think about life, call it a worldview, call it whatever, if we're not desiring to have that, then we're just going to, we've got a really smart phone, but we don't know where we are. We can't figure out our way forward. So Peter gives us that warning. He gives us also here an exhortation. He says uh, this in verse uh, 15. He says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Again, it's kind of interesting to me that it says all your conduct. I've been going through the book uh, Basic uh, Christianity with a a fellow in our church and and just kind of growing, learning about the Christian faith. And we were reading one of the chapters recently, and it talked about this picture that I thought was so helpful. And that maybe you've heard before, that that we think about our life like a house, like a home. And that when we're inviting Jesus to come in, when we're saying, yes, I want to walk in holiness, I want to live in the way that you call me to, because I know it's good and I know it's glorifying to you, that it's like meeting a person at your front door of your house, and they come in, and, and you don't just have a key to the front of your house, but each room in your house is locked with a different key. And what we want to do, I know what I want to do most of the time, is I'll be happy to give them three out of those ten keys. Go, yeah, sure. Go check out those rooms. No problem. Go look in there. doesn't bother me at all. What I don't want to do, or what I feel really reluctant to do, is to give them all the keys, and to say, please, I know that even my mind, the way that I think about life is is corrupted, is misdirected, and I know you're so good and kind to me, please go redecorate wherever you would like to. We don't like that, do we? A couple of weeks ago, uh, in, in a very, very much an act of kindness, a gentleman from the neighborhood that I live in, 
who I have met with and, and had a chance to get lunch with probably four or five times over the last couple of years and share the gospel with. And I, I hope one day he'll come and be in our, our place of worship here and come to, to faith in Christ. But um, he, he knows about me and knows about our, our church. And so he's kind enough to call us up and say, hey, I've got a couch that I would like to donate to the church. And I said, well, that would be fantastic. I said, I, I don't think, though, that we have any place in our offices for the couch. I said, so it you know, can't be kind of a charitable donation thing, but, but I'd be, you know, if, if you just want to get rid of it, the Peters family could probably use it at our house. I made a little fundamental error just right off the bat there. I hadn't talked to patients at all about <laughs> this plan off the bat. But we, I knew we were getting rid of one couch up in the play center that's been utterly destroyed by the boys, and we were going to rotate another couch out of our little office area and bring it. And, and I'll tell you, the fellow called me, and he said, okay, I'm ready for you to come get the couch. And so it was kind of, I needed to go get the couch either way, whatever was going to be done with it. And it was a very nice gesture on his part. Well, I went, and, and, and I will just say that the couch is extremely nice. It's an extremely unique piece of furniture, very special piece of furniture that, that, that as I brought it into our house, I know Patience was thinking, one, at the bare minimum, we usually make these decisions together. If anything, the decision-making for home decor leans a little bit more heavily on Patience's side of determining what that's going to look like. What are you doing bringing this into my house? Well, I've got a lovely new couch in my office now at the church <laughs> office. If you'd like to come and, and sit on it, you're welcome to. You know, we don't like somebody else coming in and trying to determine how our house of our life is going to be decorated. We just don't. It's part of our, our, our pride, spiritually speaking, of course, I'm speaking here, that we just want to live our lives the way we want to. And one of the things about holiness, when it says in all your conduct, it means that God actually wants to change things about us that we don't even know about. He wants to improve and strengthen things about us that we don't even know need to be strengthened and improved. He calls us to that kind of holiness in response to his grace. The last thing we see in uh, our passage today is that there's a confirmation given. And I'll just leave it at this for the sake of our time this morning. Uh, Peter has conveyed to us several different ways the exact same thing. You know, we've already covered this territory a couple of times this morning. But then it's interesting that he goes on to say it again, this time quoting from the Old Testament, where God just repeated this phrase over and over again. You shall be holy. Why? Because God just wants us to be kind of weird in the world? Or because God's just an ogre in the sky by and by that wants us to do certain behaviors and, and even though they're not fun, he's just kind of anti-fun. He wants us to stay away from these things. No, he wants us to be holy because he's holy. Because that's how we live in relationship to him. That's how we reflect him in this life. I invite you to pray with me. Oh, Father, we ask now that you would enable us by your power and your grace to actually come to love your holiness and in loving that Lord that we would love the transforming work that you're doing in our lives and we would yield ourselves more to it 
that, Lord, we would, in, in some way that maybe we can't even picture right now, we would happily hand the keys to you of every room in our spiritual house. And we'd be delighted for you to come and transform us so that we'd reflect you more in this world, that we'd glorify you more in that way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.